0: All right, good morning, everybody, and welcome to My Pursuit Podcast. My name is Mike, and I'm the host of the podcast. So glad that you've joined us for this uh, particular episode. And I do want to say before we get into anything else, but this is the first one that you've ever listened to. You might want to go back to the beginning of Season 3 where I have an introduction for Season 3. I think it's called something like Spark of Life Introduction. Um, that might be a good one to check out before you listen to anything else. Just so you know why we're doing what we're doing, what this is all about, and why we have a, the weird format that we do. Um, because to say it in the shortest way I, I can... Um, what we're doing here is this is a devotional podcast, and what I'm sharing with you is I'm sharing with you my weekly devotional, which to you might sound a little bit weird. It might sound like I'm uh, really skimping on my devotions, because aren't devotions supposed to be daily? You know, people have that feeling, and and uh, what I had decided to do, because devotions for me had become nothing but a, you know, maybe a little bit of a learning experience where I would read scripture You know, and I find stuff in there that was worth applying to my life, but I, you know, when you just have a day to do it, you you can't always and don't always um, apply it to your life. In fact, you very much get out of the habit of doing that because there's just so much that you're reading every day that how how am I going to meaningfully not only apply it but continue to do it into the future? Um, And that's that's really what I saw as I was doing daily devotions. And so what I've moved to in my own devotional life is staying with one scripture, one bit of scripture for the week, um, using that as my devotion for the entire week, where I continue during the week reading the same scripture, learning about that same scripture, and then trying to apply it. And what I've found is that as I go through a week um, of applying scripture, that, that's when I'll actually make it happen. Uh, because, you know, sometimes you'll find an application for scripture and you'll have one of those days where you never leave the house or, you know, you will only go to work. And then by the time you're home, it's too late to do anything else. And it's just hop in bed and go to sleep sort of thing, you know. And um, I really want to apply this to my life in the way that, you know, God is really hoping to. And so that's what I'm doing. And for me, I'm a bivocational pastor. So I work full time outside of the church. I pastor a really cool uh, growing, interesting church here in uh, in Washington State, and in order to make that happen, so that we can support our family, um, my wife and I both work outside of the church, and I work full time outside of the church. I'm the director of golf at a at a golf course, uh, the director of golf and instruction. I guess is my full title, and um, which is a job I, I very much love, and that puts me in a position where you know, for the first 15 years of ministry that I was in. You know, I really never saw non-Christians during the day unless I ran an errand to the store. You know, you're in a church all day and you're around Christians like full time. Um, but now working outside of the church full time, I'm in the position where I'm around unchurched or non-Christian people a majority of the time. And so that really has caused me to want to learn how to apply my faith differently to my life. And it's really caused me to see that as a pastor, you know, I, I was a person who for years and years got up in front of a church and, and you know, gave people information about how to engage with the non-Christian and unchurched culture around them, but I had no experience in doing that. And now here I am, you know, living that out, and I really want to live these things by example. I, I want to do what I believe that God is calling us to do, and, and so... That's that's the reason for this podcast is it is a um, it's kind of like a weekly journal of, you know, how I apply scripture and and walk through it. And, um, you know, I'm doing this so that maybe it it encourages you to do the same thing and to look at your job in the same way to say that my job is an opportunity for me to share the gospel. My job is an opportunity for me to apply scripture and to see what living God's way does in the world around me. And so that's what we're doing during this particular season and series. We're going through the Sermon on the Mount and we're going just a little bit at a time through the Sermon on the Mount and we're applying it to our lives. Uh, Because what I really believe the Sermon on the Mount was, it was Jesus telling his disciples and this group of people around him what kingdom living is supposed to look like, what it's supposed to look like to live on this earth using kingdom rules. And uh, and I really believe that's what Jesus teaches. And so... Um, I'm very excited to get into this. The Sermon on the Mount has been my favorite bit of scripture, um, really, for most of my life. And um, so I'm, I'm excited to be diving through this with you guys and really trying to figure out what this stuff means. So, what I am going to do before I get into even this week's uh, scripture is I'm going to jump back into last week's because last week's is going to inform what we're doing this week. And I'm, I want to jump into some of the controversy that surrounds what we looked at last week. Now, remember, Last week, we were in Matthew chapter 5, starting in, I, I believe it was something like verse 21, where um, Jesus said, um, you've heard it said to the people long ago, do not murder, and anyone who murders is subject to judgment. And then Jesus said, but I tell you, anyone who's angry with his brother or sister is subject to that same judgment, right? And, and he go, he goes into this, you know, how anybody who calls somebody raka is answerable to the court, and if you say, you fool, you're in danger of the fire of hell. This is what Jesus says, right? And then he goes into a couple examples about what he means when he says, you know, if you're at the altar offering your gift and there, remember that your brother has something against you, um, leave your gift at the altar. First, go and be reconciled with with your brother and then come back and offer your gift, right? And then the second one, he talks about, you know, if your adversary is taking you to court, settle matters quickly with him while you're on the way to court, right? And he, he talks about, you know, that we should pay that before we're handed over to the judge and the judge hands us over to the um to the centurion and, the, and that we're locked up and thrown into jail. Um and uh I, I I think looking at this scripture has been very interesting to me because on Sunday when I spoke about this scripture, I got up and one of the first things I said, because I didn't have to, you know, start off by saying, you know, murder's wrong, where, you know, Jesus says the murder's wrong, everybody knows that. Even if you're not a Christian, whatever culture you live in has some way of stating that murder's wrong and you shouldn't be murdering people. Um, but it was that next thought, the thought about anger, that really became the difficult one to share. And my, my point on that one was to share on Sunday, um, the other day, I, I shared anger is not okay. According to Jesus, anger is not okay. Anger is a sin, according to Jesus. Now, this, this has brought about quite a few reactions from people. Reactions where people have said, wait, Mike, um, if if anger is a sin, what am I supposed to do? Because I just automatically get angry. And, and I've had so many questions from people. And in fact, a lot of the questions that I've had from people have gone along these lines where they've said, well, Mike, you said on, on Sunday, you said at church that anger is a sin, but I I just, I don't know that I agree. I don't know that we can actually keep ourselves from being angry. And my response to that is to first say, okay, number one, I I just want to make this clear. I didn't say that anger is a sin. I didn't say that anger is not okay. Jesus said that, right? That's what he said. And when you're saying, okay, I I don't believe that I can go through things without getting angry. I understand how how we're saying, I don't believe I can do that. I've had people um, over the last two days say, I don't know that it's healthy to go through life trying to not be angry because isn't anger like cathartic? Isn't it helpful in some ways Had people say that? And um yeah, I've I've had people just make it sound like I, I don't know that there's any possible way that we cannot be angry. And the thing that I have to keep going back to, and I said this on Sunday, um, was in in uh his letter to to the church at Corinth, Paul says, you know, no temptation has seized you except that which is common to man. Right? And and so he he says, um, you know, any time that you're tempted, God will provide a way out. You know, God's going to give you a way to deal with temptation. And so when you feel the temptation to be angry, I want you to know there's a way out of that. But let me address one thing, because, um, you know, I've had several questions of this. In fact, I had an email question that came to me um, and, and a few other questions. So let me let me kind of address this 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 way. When a bad thing happens to you, I mean, think about a bad thing happening, Um, you know, what one of my thoughts was, you know, hey, suppose it's late at night, you have to get up um, early for work in the morning um, and and outside you hear people that are, you know, next door to you that are partying and they're obviously, you know, partaking in drugs and alcohol as they're partying and they're keeping you up, which is annoying, right? That's frustrating, And there's nothing wrong with being annoying, annoyed or frustrated by it. But imagine that not only that, but but they start getting into cars and you're going, man, that's unsafe. And they're revving the engine. And then at the end of the night, you hear them rev an engine, gun the car, you know, so so it takes off and squeals the tires. And you realize that they've had a car accident. They've hit your car. And they've disabled your car now. For the meeting that you have tomorrow, how are you going to get to your early morning meeting? And they've just taken off. Um, how how do you go about not being angry here? And and this is what I, I want us to like get about this. Um, you will be frustrated in that situation. You might be sad in that frustration. In in that situation, you might be overwhelmed. Um, you might be hurt. You might be hurt that your neighbors would do this awful thing to you, right? There's a lot of those emotions that you're going to feel. None of those emotions, according to Jesus, are wrong. It's not wrong to feel frustrated. It's not wrong to feel hurt. The question is, what are you going to do with those emotions? And the question, that that's the question because we live in a culture That has trained us and conditioned us to believe that if something bad happens to you and you're hurt, or if you're sad, or if you're disrespected, you're frustrated. We live in a culture that says if those things occur, if those things happen to you, those things need to turn into anger. In fact, that's what we're expected to do. We're expected in a stressful situation, in a fearful situation, to become angry. We've been told this in sports. We've been told, you know, play angry, you know, and, and get all these hotheads heads who get out there and, and, and they're just angry and mad as they're playing a game, you know. Um, we've been told that. We've been told that with, you know, if somebody hurts you, we, it's been made, made to sound to us like we're supposed to be angry at them. Now, what I want us to understand and what maybe not everybody got on Sunday at church was when we look at, at how Jesus looks at anger, how does he look at it, right? His, his examples afterwards were to say, you know what, here's an example of you going to the altar and realizing that your brother has something against you, that your brother is, is holding a debt um, that, that you are supposed to pay, you know, with, with your, you know, whether it's a financial debt or, you know, a, a debt because you hurt somebody. Um, Jesus says, first deal with the debt, you know, because that's a big way that Jesus looks at anger. In fact, he says the same thing in, uh, in the next bit where he talks about going to court with somebody, um, somebody who's holding a debt over you. This is how Jesus sees anger. He sees it as a debt that we hold over somebody that, Hey, I've been, I've been hurt. I've been disrespected. I've been frustrated. And because you've done that to me, I'm going to hold a debt against you. You know, you you took something away from me, whether it was, you know, financial, and now I hold this financial debt over you. So if you have somebody who stole from you, somebody who broke into your house and took your stuff, like a precious family heirloom, they took that, that. That hurts. You're frustrated, right? You're upset about it. Of course you are. Our culture says to turn that directly into anger. Anger is the debt that we hold over somebody where we go, okay, you've stolen this heirloom, you've stolen something really nice from me. And and now because you've stolen that, I'm going to hold that as your debt. That not only do you have to return that to me, but you have to return all the hurt that you caused me. Um, You have to, you have to return the disrespect that I felt. And you have to make this right by apologizing the correct way. And, And let me make it clear, that's not going to happen. When you've been hurt by somebody... Um, trying to undo the hurt by hurting them back or trying to undo the hurt by getting finances to come over there, that doesn't undo the pain that you felt, right? That's why when Jesus talks later about, you've heard it said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, right? Um, That was kind of the Old Testament way of doing it. You know, you got in a fight and somebody punched you and knocked your tooth out. Well, now you get to knock their tooth out. Does that take away the pain that you felt, the hurt that you felt? No, the anger doesn't do that. Holding that kind of debt doesn't do anything productive for you. In fact, it takes you away from doing things that are productive, which would be like, hey, if I'm hurt, let me go deal with this hurt. Let, let me go and, and, and talk about it with somebody. Let me figure out with somebody, you know, the kind of help that I need. Let me figure out how I can turn how you've hurt me into something that causes me to grow better than, than I am. It's not that I'm welcoming the hurt and I want the hurt. It's that this is what I'm supposed to do with the hurt because it's productive. Anger ends up bypassing anything productive that you can do with the hurt, that you can do with the frustration, that you can do with the disrespect. Anger bypasses all that and gives us like this revenge idea of what it means to be right. And that's why... Um, anger just doesn't work. Anger is the wrong thing. And anger is a choice. It's a secondary choice to hold this debt over somebody. And what Jesus talks to us later about is how we can release that debt by, you know, for asking God for, for, to forgive us and then forgiving the debts of others is, is what we're called to do. I know it's difficult, especially when we live in a world that's completely against that, but it is something that we're called to do. And I'm going to clarify this on, on Sunday as well. Um, I, I'll be clarifying this. So, um, But let me, let me go just kind of one step further into the next scripture that we're going to look at this week. And I'm going to do this pretty quick. Um, the very next scripture, Jesus says, um, you've heard it said, um, do not commit adultery. He says, but I tell you, any man who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his own heart. And then Jesus goes into, you know, if you your right, eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It's far better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. He says, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. It's far better for you to lose one part of your body than for your body to be thrown into hell. Now, yikes, this is a big one, right? And I, one of the things that I've thought of with this one is, you know, it needs to be said, um, adultery is not okay in the eyes of Jesus. And... And it, it needs to be said as well, adultery, um, biblically speaking, is any sex outside of marriage, right? So so that's premarital. Um, it's extramarital, I guess is the word for it. Or it's even postmarital, you know, somebody who's who's been divorced and now is in a new relationship. Um, you know, we're, we're supposed to abstain outside of marriage. It's what we're called to do by Scripture. So that needs to be said, because in our culture— I mean, we've got we've got Christian kids who are like, "Oh, I, I didn't realize it was wrong to have sex before marriage. I didn't realize I wasn't supposed to do that," um, because people are not talking about it anymore. Because adults have kind of decided, "Hey, that's um, it's not very realistic. Uh, I didn't wait, and uh, my children probably can't wait themselves." Um, and and that's how people are kind of perceiving that. Um, so that's a difficult one to talk about, and. You know, I, I can talk a little bit about that one because, you know, I, I did wait. Um, my, my wife and I waited and it wasn't the easiest thing in the world to do. But um, it's something that I believe blessed us later on. That's that might be a whole other conversation. So it needs to be said adultery is not OK, but it also needs to be said lust is not OK. And I want you to understand that just as we talked about anger being a secondary emotion, a lot of times that's what lust has become in our culture. We live in a culture that says, if you are physically attracted to another person, that 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 should turn into lust. This desire for, I mean, and and I'm, I'm trying not to be R or PG-13, but we're going to have to say the, the sex word once or twice here, um, that that becomes this desire for that. And I, I think what we've done as a culture is we've really, really, really... Um, misunderstood and perverted what, what God had desired for human beings as far as intimacy goes, because God created humans with a need for intimacy with him and a need for intimacy with each other. In fact, when he created Adam and Eve in the garden, they were both naked and they, they weren't, they weren't ashamed of their nakedness because they, they were people who, who now had nothing between them. Um, they, they, knew and understood each other fully, you know, because they could see each other fully. Um, And that's what vulnerability is. That's what intimacy is. Um, What sex was created to be, at least I believe, is the physical act of intimacy. That in a marriage, you you can be emotionally intimate with somebody, which means, you know, being willing to share and know and participate in every part of a person's, you know, emotional life. And I think that's that's important, and that's that's important in a marriage. Um, but but similarly, that's what physical intimacy is. Um, that that it's it's the physical act of of being intimate, and that's that's why nudity is involved in it because this is a situation where you've presented yourself fully, unclothed to another person, and that they are there to to accept you fully as you are and, and appreciate you fully as you are. And that's, that's a physical intimacy that's there. Now, of course our culture has gotten so far away from this because we see, we see sex as so many other things other than what God created it to be, which was, you know, with one person in, in your life, you know? Um, And I'm not saying that people who've been divorced and, and, you know, gone through all of that or, you know, people who have, um, you know, come to Christ later in life and, you know, look back and said, I, I didn't even know that I shouldn't be doing that. You know, there, there's forgiveness for places where we've gone off the rails. Um, absolutely, there is. But that's that's the design that God had. And we have to understand that anytime we take it outside of God's design, there's a harm that's done. And lust is really kind of it's it's not the action Right, it's it's what we hold inside, and like we were saying, that that anger is a debt that we hold inside towards somebody else. Um, lust is a desire that we hold inside of us for somebody else, but that that we're holding this desire for the physical act of intimacy without emotional intimacy, and and that there's something damaging about this. There's something that causes us when we do this to objectify people and see other people as there only to please our, you know, physical needs. Um, and, and we objectify people, we look at people differently, we judge them based on how they look and how they present themselves. And there's all sorts of problems to what we do and what lust causes us to do. And so, this week, as I'm looking into scripture, my, my devotion is um, to to look at people differently, to not allow people to become objects in my eyes. And I'm not just talking about like the, the lustful desire, but anytime that, that that happens, and especially paying um, paying attention to places where you know the shows or the movies that we watch, um the the media that we're involved in, how those things drive us toward that desire, and maybe starting to think about how can I weed out desire because what what Jesus what what he got to, is he starts talking about if your right eye or your right hand causes you sin, get rid of them now. I believe that Jesus is being very literal there. Um, Only the, the thing that we need to understand is that it's not a body part that's causing you to sin. I know there's people that, you know, make fun of men and say if a certain body part was missing, then they wouldn't have this sin. Well, that's not entirely true. And that's that's not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is talking about if there's something that you can do that would cause you not to sin, you need to deal with the thing that caused you to sin. And, and it's not a body part, right? It's not the eye. It's not the hand. It's not any other part that you're thinking in your, you know, mind in the gutter or whatever. Um, I know I was alluding to it. So it's not your mind in the gutter. Um, but it's, it's not a body part that causes it and it, it can fix it. What, what Jesus is saying is if it was as easy as, as cutting off an eye or cutting out an eye or gouging off a, a hand, that that would be great. Okay, do that. But that's not how easy it is. What we're called to do is we're called to deal with the root of the problem, which is inside of our heart. And that's why Jesus says, you know, if, if a man looks at a woman lustfully, he's already committed adultery with her in his heart. Our heart is the place that we really need to do this gouging and cutting. We really need to get into understanding what have I allowed into my heart and has that impacted how I view others and how I talk about others. So, that's what I want you to be thinking of this week. And that's what I'm going to be thinking of this week. And I'm going to see how this evolves because I really want to think about the different ways in which um, I, I tend to probably um, objectify people. I'm not even just talking about it in a lustful way, how that's what our heart condition is. And how can we get our hearts on the right track as far as seeing people the way that God created them to be. So that's my challenge. Um, and while well, I'll get back to you, and let you know at the end of the week how this goes. We'll, we'll just kind of start seeing how it goes. But anyway, I'm so glad that you guys are listening. I'm looking forward to getting back with you guys at the end of the week. Well, hey, everybody, welcome back. I'm glad that uh, you guys have stayed with the podcast this long. This is uh, the end of my week. And, um, just reflecting on my week, I have to say, I've had a very good week. Um, And I know I I haven't gone back to listen to the last couple podcasts, but I feel fairly certain that my last three weeks, I've said on every week, I've had a surprisingly good week. And at least I think I've said that. So I was thinking a little bit about that, um, you know, as I got into the car, and I was getting ready to start driving home. And one, one thing came to my mind, I started asking myself the question, why was this a good week? What is it that made it a good week? Um, Were there good things that happened in the week? Yes. Were there bad things that happened in the week? Yep. Also bad things that happened in the week. And I I think I can honestly look back, not just at this week, but on other weeks that I've had where I felt like they were bad weeks. And I could say that there's not any more bad stuff that happened during those weeks, nor is there any more or less – good stuff that happened during some of those weeks that I would have considered rough or long weeks. I, that, that's probably the word I'd use more often. If somebody asks, how was your week? There's times where I would look at them and I'd say, it was long. You know, there was a lot. And even even in saying that, I feel like I would be losing energy just in saying that. Um, but the reason why I say that is because one, one of the things I think I've discovered and been thinking about a little bit um, as I've started this drive before I started recording this is... My best weeks are weeks that I feel like I've made personal progress. Um, does that make sense? Weeks where I feel like I've, I've stuck to the plan and I've done, you know, uh, physically, spiritually, emotionally, some of the stuff that I was supposed to do in order to move forward. And on weeks where I feel like I've moved forward, even when bad stuff has happened during that week, um, I feel like I've had a really good week, and so maybe I, maybe that's something that um, that you might need to hear right now is that like you know if you're going through a lot of these weeks and you're feeling like uh, you know um, that was a long week and you know I have nothing but bad weeks start thinking about what am I doing for the sake of of personal growth and if you really feel yourself moving forward and growing forward. I really believe that, that you will have more good weeks than bad weeks and that your weeks will be more meaningful, which is what makes them good. Um, so I've had a good week for a lot of different reasons this, this week, um, and a lot of them have to do with growth. So during this week, um, the theme, obviously, that came out of Scripture that we were looking at this week is where Jesus talks about adultery and lust. And um, I want to be very honest with you. This week, I did not commit adultery Um, three cheers for me, right? Uh, That's not what we were thinking, right? The goal wasn't just to keep from committing adultery. Same with last week. The goal at the end of the week wasn't to get through the week without murdering, right? Um, I normally do that on a week and I hope that you always do it. And I, yes, I always do it. I, I have not murdered. Um, but still the anger thing is a big challenge, right? And say the same thing is true with the adultery thing, um, hopefully most of us get through the week and we go, Hey, no adultery this week. Um, but if we're being honest, there's probably a lot of us that would say, how would I do with the other thing? How'd I do with the lust thing? And uh, let me kind of tell you where my mind has gone with these things over the last couple of weeks. What I've noticed is that, and let's start with the anger thing. And we talked a little bit about this at the beginning of the podcast. There are some emotions that we feel that our culture has told us need to lead to anger, right? And, and so, if you're hurt or if you're disrespected, you feel like that's supposed to become anger. Like I'm supposed, I'm supposed to be angry. So that's where where we go in those circumstances. We become angry, and we allow ourselves to hold that debt, which is what we talked about anger being all about. Um, I believe the same thing is true with lust, by the way. There are some things that happen that our culture just drills into us. This is supposed to be a lustful situation. Um, For instance, if you see somebody and they are physically attractive to you, and again, I don't remember if we talked about this at the beginning of the week, at the beginning of this podcast, there's nothing wrong with noticing that a person is physically attractive. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, That's not a sin to go, Hey, that person's attractive. I'm attracted to that person. There's nothing sinful about being attracted to a person. But of course, the big question is, when does that cross over? When does that become something more? When does that become lust? So it's not just attractiveness that, that becomes lust. Lust, But I think the definition that I would put on lust is this. Anytime that we begin to desire and that we begin to... Um, I guess the best way to put it would be to entertain the thoughts of having physical intimacy, which we talked about, I believe at the beginning of this podcast, Um, anytime that we um, entertain the thought and the idea of being physically intimate with a person that we have no business having intimacy with, that's, that's lust. Okay. So, so it's lust. If you know you're before you're married, and A, even if you're in love with somebody, if, if all you can do is like dream about the, the physical intimacy part, um, there's lust in that. There, there's part of you that needs to look at that relationship and say, you know what, this is the time of relationship where we are showing self control, where we're abstaining from something, even though that we know it's going to be there one day and it's going to happen one day. We abstain from it in order to practice self-control because one of the things that I've, and I've told a bunch of people this when they've come to me to ask about premarital counseling, I'll sit down with them. And one of the things that I will point out is, Hey, if the person that you're engaged to, um, or that you're thinking about marrying, if they haven't been self-controlled before marriage, like what, what tells you that they're going to be self-controlled in marriage? practicing self-control before marriage is, is a big deal. Now with all that, um, and this is like a whole other topic, but, um, you know, I, I guarantee that there's going to be people who hear that and go, Hey, you know what? I experienced physical intimacy before marriage. Um, like, did I just ruin myself? Did I just ruin everything? And and I think there's been a lot of kind of Christian myths and a lot of kind of Christian cliches that have surrounded the thought of premarital sex and so let let me say this just because you've crossed that line and done something that you now understand like maybe I shouldn't have done that maybe it would have been best had I not done that it doesn't mean that you're ruined it doesn't mean that your relationship is ruined it does mean that you're in need of repentance It, it means that you're in need of saying hey you know what that wasn't right maybe I didn't even know it wasn't right Um, but it, it wasn't right. I wish that I would have exercised some self-control there. And now, you know, is a time where I'm going to have to learn to build up that self-control in another way. Um, which, which is completely wonderful and great. If you're to that point, um, then you're learning some of the stuff that, that hopefully you would have learned had you abstained, you know, before marriage. So again, I, I know that kind of the Christian subculture has judged people harshly for being premaritally intimate, um, I, I think it's time to to like still hold to that standard and say that that is the standard and that's the correct standard. However, we shouldn't make people feel that because they've crossed a line, that they're no longer welcome in a church or that they're, they're not the kind of Christian that God wants them to be, that you can totally redeem that. Um, but I, I think it's important that we we talk about why um, this standard is there. And so that's something that I, I'm planning on talking about tomorrow in church today's Saturday. So I'm planning on t- talking about it tomorrow, like why that's an important standard. But as far as the lust thing goes, there needs to be some times that, that we look at how we view other people. Um, and, and a lot of this goes into the attractiveness of people and the feeling that, that we have, that we should entertain a thought that God is telling us we have no business entertaining. Um, Which means that some of the practices that we have to move into are saying, you know, what? hey, when I find another person attractive and the world tells me that because they're attractive, I should lust after that person. That's really doing some damage in us. And I believe that what we need to be willing and able to do is we need to be willing and able to say, you know what, if I find somebody who I'm not married to and I'm currently married, if I find them attractive and that leads me toward lust. One of the things that I need to start doing is I need to start looking at my own spouse and saying, why, why is she attract why am I attracted to her?" And I need to start understanding that my spouse is supposed to be the person that I am singularly the most attracted to. And it, 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 it means that when we look at our spouse we need to decide what am I attracted to about this person? And why is this the person that I am supposed to be and going to be the most attracted to? And we can change a little bit of our definition of attraction. Um, Unfortunately, because of what people view in popular culture, there are some stereotypes of what people look like that have become, this is the person that I'm supposed to be attracted to. And there are people who are looking at those people saying, I am more attracted to that person than I am my spouse. And because of that, We hold our spouses to unrealistic expectations of how they're supposed to look and how they're supposed to act because of what we've seen in movies and seen um, and and read about. And unfortunately, what some people have viewed in porn. And, And so we need to be willing to say, you know what? Hey, my goal is to change my mind and change my heart so that I see my spouse as the most attractive person, the person that I'm most attracted to. And that's really where this goes with, with what Jesus is talking about. See, when he talks about, you know, gouging out your eye and cutting off your hand, he's talking about what part of our body is it that causes us to sin? Well, it's not your hand. It's not your eye. It's our heart. And, and Jesus is saying that we need some work on our heart. We need to work on that, which means that we need to look at what we're allowing into our heart, um, the kind of entertainment, the, the kind of things that, the, that we allow into our heart that shape our thoughts, and so this has been a week where I've really looked at that. What kind of stuff am I watching? What kind of stuff am I viewing that's putting another message into my mind and putting these other norms and concepts of what should be normal into my mind about how people look? And I have really had to go back at myself and say, there's some things that I really need to be clear. I, I really just shouldn't be watching some things. Um, and when i do watch them i really need to be careful about where my mind goes and what am i going to be thinking about that and how i how can i bring my mind back to my relationship with my spouse and say she to me is the most attractive and you know i it, it doesn't um it it doesn't escape me that this week is also it's been valentines week this week You know, so that thought has been around with a lot of people. A lot of people have been talking about those thoughts of love and lust and eroticism and all those things, you know, that that kind of gets all lumped together during this time of the year. So I, I think that it's important that we start asking those questions, that we start looking at that and we start really taking a challenge of saying, how can I view my spouse as the most attractive and how can I change the fact that, you know, how, how can I change what I'm attracted to and start saying, my spouse is the most attractive person that I know. And she's attractive because, you know, because we have the intimacy, because she knows me fully and I know her fully because she's accepted me fully and, and I've accepted her fully. Um, and really, that's what goes into this concept of, of intimacy is, is, you know, knowing and being known, loving and, and being loved, touching and being touched all those things get wrapped up into this. So, um, that's, that's really where I've gone with this this week. That's where my mind has gone. And it's really become a challenge to say, you know what, how can I look at the messages that are coming into my mind and how can I start, you know, guarding my own heart and how can I start shaping my heart, um, to see that, that I'm married to the most attractive person that I know. Um, how can I start shaping my heart to see that, know that, understand that, and believe that. So, Anyway, that's kind of where my week has gone. I'm not sure where yours is. I hope you're having a fantastic week. And I really look forward to talking, um, you know, tomorrow morning about this topic and, uh, and and diving back into the Sermon on the Mount with you guys. So anyway, um, you know, I, I want to keep challenging you to go into the Sermon on the Mount, to read what's there, um, to apply it to your life and um, really see how that's going for, for you. But <clears throat> once again, Thankful that you guys are listening to this. I would love it if you would submit a review if you're on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. Uh, write up a review and submit that. It helps other people find it. Even other people who are part of our church, it helps it pop up faster when they're searching for it. So um, that's that's a cool thing that you can do. Also, if you have any questions you would like for me to respond to, email those questions to at outlook.com. I would love to respond to your questions. I've got a few that I didn't even get into this week because it came later in the week and and stuff. So I've, I've got a couple, but, hey, keep submitting them because I would like to respond to those. Um, but anyway, once again, I'm, I'm just thrilled that you guys are listening to this and uh, look forward to seeing you guys and talking to you soon. Um, thanks a lot. Bye.